the trauma healing learnings based on one mom's journal entries recorded in real time from a catastrophic event with her son that you've been listening to in the blink of an eye story. Trauma Healing Learning, Episode 7, Don't Settle for Less. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, everyone. I love to hear from you and enjoy your stories of how the trauma healing learnings are helping you. They help me, too. We've started a nonprofit, I See That, which stands for the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation. We will have general education for high schoolers and schools on trauma and trauma healing. And whether it is personal trauma or family trauma or intergenerational trauma or collective trauma, understanding about trauma and how our bodies manage or get blocked might not only improve health, it will save lives. If we all allowed ourselves the permission to acknowledge the trauma in our lives, and if we didn't blame anyone, but rather became curious and did our own work to resolve the parts of the trauma experience that hold us hostage in our lives, it would be a different society. There would be less depression, less suicide, less divorce, more long-term partnerships, more connection, more integration. I hold out that possibility for all of us, wherever we are on our own trauma healing journey. And as we recover, as we heal, as we feel less burdened, as we move about in a way that is lighter, less rigid, more fluid, and more connected to others, we can also find that advocacy for well-being becomes more natural. I've been interested in advocacy for many years as a litigator attorney turned mediator almost 30 years ago. The adversarial mindset and the adversarial way that many lawyers approached their cases was beginning to make me sick. So I left that adversarial practice and formed one of the first mediation companies in the United States, Baltimore Mediation. Over the years, as the mediation profession blossomed and bloomed, we still seemed to zag while others zigged because of a view of advocacy that was radically different than the get-all-you-can-and-maximize-your-own-self-interest approach. We took a relational approach, and that's what I want to begin to talk about today as it relates to advocacy and trauma healing. A relational approach to advocacy in a nutshell is that you speak and interact in ways that are centered, grounded, and clear. You don't ask for more than you need. You don't gouge the other person. 
you don't take advantage of their weaknesses and you don't leave them worse off as a result of your decision-making. It's a radically different mindset for many people and for many institutions. It's a self and other approach, or as my friend Dan Siegel says, it's a we, a me, you, and we approach. And it's the one I want to introduce you to as it relates to trauma healing. You see, at the core of a relational approach is believing in the capacity of others, believing in oneself, and even more basic than that, believing, believing in what is possible. The opposite of a relational approach is a transactional approach, which is a worldview that the world will take advantage of you, even crush you. So you better get all you can. Prepare defensively. Don't make yourself vulnerable in any way. And at the core of a transactional approach is a mindset that sees the worst in people. That people are tools, expendable. Many policies and institutions are premised on this underlying set of transactional assumptions whether they have awakened to that or not. But it's always a choice. And it's not always an easy choice. Part of my journey, which you're following in the companion story, was my own awakening too. I had all this background in relational conflict theory when Archer was injured. And I also felt that God was guiding me. If I could just stay open enough to hear his whisper. For me, when I'm trying to discern something important, I do pray a great deal. I also slow down and listen a great deal to nature, to the beauty that surrounds me. And I listen and pay attention to my own thoughts. And the ones that come to me in rather random ways, and which of those thoughts seems to be repeating themselves, I pay attention to that. The noetic sciences would call this serendipity. It was not a scientist though, but an 18th century author, Horace Walpole, who coined the noun serendipity for when valuable or agreeable things not planned for are discovered. Well, for me, it was always God's whispering, which the noetic scientists acknowledge as well as their study looks at the intersection of science and the profound human experience. In the companion story, you know how the phrase don't settle for less, continued to cross my mind. And as it did, I continued to pray for Archer, alternating with prayers for myself to stay close to divine source, to be guided, and to feel Mother Mary's arms around me. You know how we've talked about 
resourcing before? Well, prayer and what you believe are both very powerful resources. And I was calling on both and believing that God was with me constantly. I felt grounded and centered. Advocacy, relational advocacy, might be a critical part of your trauma healing journey. It might be finding your voice and making a request for your well-being while you remain open to hearing others' stances on why or why not they can accommodate that. This is what my husband Billy was doing with me in the companion story. Finding your voice might not be slinking away when you do feel rejected, but rather being strong enough to be vulnerable, not settling for less. And that might be a call to advocacy for yourself on your own inner journey, to explore your patterns and past traumas too, to make sense of them so you can metabolize them, allowing you to feel restored over time to who you were called to be. Advocating and not settling for less might also mean that you set up a meeting or have a conversation where you can admit you are wrong or close-minded or we're just operating out of a half-full picture. It might be thanking the other person for telling you, helping you wake up. Or it might be that you acknowledge that what they say is true, but that you think it's incomplete, and part of your relational advocacy for yourself is that you share the information to add to a wider truth. Relational advocacy has an attitude of not settling for less, but digging deeper for greater understanding and human connection. You see, the relational lens views advocacy as an interaction, a give and take sharing of information and of listening. Relational advocacy is a very real component of trauma healing. And it's the next chapter of conflict transformation. When we were in the intensive care unit with Archer, I advocated for that meeting with the doctors. It was not common for the team of ICU doctors to be meeting with the family a member patient, to discuss a treatment plan. Relational advocacy is not yet common. And why not? I don't know, because it takes time, because it takes resources or doctor's time, because it could be uncomfortable, because it could be messy, because we haven't thought about what would be good for general well-being and for the family, for the patient, and for the staff. While we might have coordinated care in hospitals now, an important step in the continuum of care, we don't yet have 
collaborative care. We don't. We don't yet have collaborative care for our loved ones in hospitals and ICUs. So don't settle for less that the doctors know best and the siloed approach in medicine and in hospitals is just the way it is. Doctors know a lot, but alone, they do not necessarily know best. How many experts do you have in your life now who don't talk with each other? Don't settle for less. Go deeper. Dig deeper. Gather people together. Advocate for dialogue. Not only will a more coordinated plan emerge, you and they will feel more connected, more whole. And that is what happened in the companion story. And it was a day of euphoria that emerged unexpectedly out of feeling stuck with no more medical options for Archer's care. Bringing people together allows the opportunity not only for new information and ideas, but it also allows the opportunity for human connection. So how might you show up as an advocate in your life for yourself or for your loved one? What people do you need to gather together? How might God be whispering to you, don't settle for less? Our egos and our defenses and our past wounding hold us back more than we are aware of. The trauma wounds we carry from childhood and from our ancestors are the strongest drivers of our automatic behavior, our defense mechanisms, our personal reactivity, and those walls we create around ourselves. Let's not settle for less. Let's go deeper with our own capacity. Oh, and I talked about the positive frame in the companion story and promised I'd share more of what that is. Well, it's very related to relational advocacy as you gather people together as a way you might approach complex, tricky, sensitive, or anticipated difficult conversations. I was informed by various teachings at conferences I've attended over the years with neuroscientists as I was seeking to better understand the conflict experience in the brain. What I learned was a confirmation of what I had seen thousands of times in mediations, that it is possible to both increase the likelihood of a successful negotiation as much as decrease the likelihood of a successful negotiation by how we approach the setup and how we open the meeting. The neuroscientists call this priming or positive framing. 
I like to refer to it as the positive frame. It's based on the scientific experiments with animals and humans that demonstrate that humans have a distinct preference for the positive. And this preference is an evolved trait and is deeply rooted in our human psyche. So the positive frame is our tone and our choice of words and our demeanor and our outlook that we bring to any event, any gathering that can change the outcome because of the positive framing. It's powerful. Remember how energy follows attention? Well, when you place your attention on what is possible and believe that, others are more likely to come along and see what is possible too. It's not magic. And it doesn't reframe or discount or pretend something is not difficult or very dire. Rather, it does acknowledge the negative and adds a positive frame. It's more complete. It's more authentic. It is relational. If you're interested in the distinction and understanding more about a relational approach, I refer you to my book, Being Relational, The Seven Ways to Quality Interaction and Lasting Change. In the companion episode seven story, there are examples of the positive frame. Ways I applied the positive frame to words I chose for meetings, both with the medical team for Archer who were out of medical options and with our son Dutch, whom we were painfully sharing more bad and sad news about Archer. Another example of the positive frame was our healing sanctuary we created in Archer's room, where there were no words used there, but we relied on aromatic and fresh fragrances, soft sound, beautiful imagery, pictures of loved ones, and the presence of the divine that literally created a healing environment. Yes, these choices you can make will have positive outcomes for you too. When I was with Archer in the ICU and it was bleak, I was interested in the positive frame in an ICU hospital room. My intention was to elevate the vibration for healing since I had studied quantum physics and understood more about energy then. As it turned out, it prompted a great deal more attention to Archer, to healing, and to his care. The nurses actually began signing up and vying for being on the shift to care for Archer. It was extraordinary. We all want to feel soothed and connected. I believe that our healing sanctuary and the relational advocacy contributed to what was possible that day. I do. So now that you know about the positive frame 
you might consider incorporating this wonderful relational approach into the way you open an important meeting or conversation and then speak from your heart, clear, centered, and grounded. From a trauma healing perspective, this will carry you far. The unvarnished, unadorned truth for which you create an environment such that others are more likely to listen to you if that is part of your journey. Trauma healing often includes getting on the record in some way. And that can be adding to or listening to a more complete picture. And while we might not ever have the full picture, we can reestablish connection and show up authentically. This helps the body rewire and re-regulate itself because it is no longer expending so much energy working against resistance. And when we believe what is possible, that is what the Holy Spirit, God, the divine source, is calling us all to do because it is all there for us. Healing is a part of our birthright to be restored to feeling whole again. Let's all use the positive frame now. I am whole. I am valuable. I am lovable. That's right. Believe in what is possible and don't settle for less. You and your healing are worth it. Amen. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Your life is precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Thank you for joining me for the Trauma Healing Learnings. You may tune in to the Blink of an Eye story that accompanies these learnings. At Episode 7, Don't Settle for Less. And as we listen together, we raise the vibration for healing across the planet. that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue.